coming to you as live as Oral Roberts University, the NCAA <laughs> tournament. It is the Sons of Honarchy podcast with your host, Drunk Shy Sox fan. And hot take Tommy. And why you got to go for my heart like that? I don't even like the Buckeyes, but I had him in my damn final four, you jerk. That's pain. That it's, is total pain. so pain. Anyway, what matters most today is not Oral Roberts ruining my bracket. It is that we have the Dan Victor on our pod, and he is going to bring you the real takes from the minor leagues today. Sons of Honarchies, minor league correspondent, baby. <laughs> All of this brought to you by my 401k. My. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. I love it. I love it. How you guys been? Oh, doing great, Dan. Doing great. All things considered, I should say. But wonderful. How about yourself? Living the dream, brother. Ooh, yes. What's uh what's new with you? Uh working out of town in South Carolina, near Greenville, actually. So uh when baseball starts, I should be close to the uh Greenville Drive, which is the uh Red Sox affiliate in A Ball. Ooh. That's right. They got the uh, the little Fenway Park there. It's really friggin' cool. I've been it's, by it's it. Prob- I've never been in it. It's probably one of the best minor league parks I've been in. But the new Kannapolis one is no joke either. That's the real deal. I 100% agree with you. It's incredible, Dan. I, uh, I, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting to a game down there with you sooner than later. Yeah, man. You better come down. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I do want to say thank you for taking the time to join us today because oh, yeah. I know, you know, even jumping through call hoops right now, you know, and trying to figure out, hey, you know, <laughs> can Steve actually figure Zoom out is a pain in the ass to begin with. So I'm always glad to talk to you guys. We appreciate it, man. We really appreciate it. So. We got we got Tommy sipping on a beer. Usually that's that's me. Yeah, that's your vibe. Usually I um, but I I had to partake. It felt like it it felt like we we got a good guest on. We having a good time. It's a good Saturday. Beautiful outside in Chicago, actually. Um, And and it's also really the celebration of I got my first shot today for for the Moderna. So I'm pretty excited about it. Um, And I got to have a celebratory sip. As a Moderna stockholder, I thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is fantastic. I love that. I, I like Dan's thought process. That's good. That's good. Yes, I love it. Yeah, no, no Johnson and Johnson for me. I got to say, <laughs> I'll take whatever. But I, but I did. I bought um two hundred shares of Moderna when it was an IPO. So I got it for like twenty one dollars a share, and it's been well. You know, COVID's been good for the stock. Yeah, it's it's definitely more than that, I'd assume. <laughs> well, cheers to that. Cheers to that. You're getting rich and I'm getting healthy. So that's that's good. That's two two birds, one stone right there. You're enjoying a beer and I'm sitting here drinking water and I just I'm I'm walking. I'm not doing the 108 mile thing. I'm doing a, a walking thing um, <laughs> because uh, unfortunately, my weight has ballooned in the last couple of years and uh, I'm trying to knock it down and uh Walking is more my style. I'm I'm doing the couch to 5K though, so I'm working up to running bike. Heck yeah, that's awesome. Good for you, man. I mean, yeah, not not everybody's gonna be like Iron Man, like Steve-O over here. I don't know if you've seen his like 
he's got these tweets every other day that just make me feel like crap when he's out here posting his six fifteen miles. And I'm like, you know what, Steve, I'll just, I got my dumbbells at home. I'll just be <laughs> trying to make sure I'm not gaining weight over here. I'll just stay where I'm at. <laughs> oh yeah. Steve on his, his humble brags uh, here. I'm just going to post this. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I'm not the runner I used to be. That's the thing. So that's why I don't feel as bad posting them. Cause like, I'll be honest. Like I, do we want honesty hour here? I, I ran sh- the Chicago marathon at a six forty pace. So. Oh my God. You- okay. Are you from Kenya? <laughs> I'm, I'm white Kenyan. That's what oh I. Oh my god. <laughs> Jeez. N- yeah, not quite, not quite. But uh, yeah, a no. lot of high school running, a lot of college running, and uh, I, w- I was young and dumb, and still able to down twenty beers in five hours on the weekends too. Oh my god. You know, that's impressive. So yeah, uh, my body slowed down a little bit. Uh, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. So. Well, you want know Dan, first and foremost, we, we wanted to hop into this and, and give you a little hype because you are not just the man, the myth, the legend, as I always say when you mm-hmm. come on to our podcast, but we have the baseball scout for Prospects 1500, writer for Southside Sox, member of the International Baseball Writers Association of America, mm-hmm. fantasy baseball dominatrix. <laughs> and minor league correspondent for the sons of honarchy dan victor wow also wow, I don't the know. biggest of the 108 tourney snubs might i add yes uh, boys i fi- i feel like i failed i couldn't believe i went down in the play-in game against a guy um that i had really never heard of until then um i was Kind of devastated by it. I'm not going to lie. Even though it's all about bragging rights and nothing more, it's a personal pride thing. And I'm really down and out about it. That's fair. I, I, I totally understand, Dan. I was telling Tommy this too, because, uh, you know, we, we weren't getting a response from you for, for, you know, a couple of days there on Twitter. And I was like, Tom, I think he's really upset at White Sox Twitter right now. I would be too. Yeah, man. I am. I am upset. Like, come on. How is Sly Dano not getting through to the next round? Come on now. That's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's the snub above all snubs in my opinion. So, and that's, I mean, obviously I'm biased, I'm biased, but come on, you shouldn't have been in a playing round to begin with. Well, yeah, I've been drinking myself into oblivion for days now, boys. And- <laughs> well yeah. that that's the 108 way honestly that that's how you uh you just got to post <laughs> pictures about it now you know like hey i downed this entire bottle of bourbon tonight hashtag 108 so. get all that clout right back <laughs> but i'll tell you what dan yeah i would say you you are the you are the king of snubs my friend you uh you made a good run Honestly, I, I wish we would have chosen, you know, as we saying White Sox Twitter, because I definitely chose, uh, you know, my man at Sly Dan of 70 on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was heartbreaking to see someone whose face we've never even seen on Sox Twitter before win over you. Well, maybe next year I'll, I'll try harder. Hey, yeah. 
I love that. I love that. And, and we'll, we'll make sure we get the, uh, the full push for you next year, whether it's a play-in game or actually you being in the first round. So, all right. Well, Dan, obviously we've got you on here to talk, uh, you know, a little bit of baseball. Cause let's be real. Tommy and I like to bring uh, a little bit of lightheartedness <laughs> to the game and, and to talking about, you know, our team and, and, you know, how they're doing and, and, how they're going to do, but at the same time, we might not have as much insight and uh, <laughs> as much ability to bring analytics in as much as we would like to. Um, you know, Tommy is, in your words, uh, wildly misguided, <laughs> um, which is uh, an understatement <laughs> to say the least. And uh, I, I like to just kind of sit in the middle here, this happy middle between I like to go to the games and drink beer, but I also like to add a little substance to my baseball talk, but you, you are, you are the man when it comes to, uh, to giving us substance, especially when it comes to our, our minor league teams. Um, so first and foremost, I do want to ask Tommy and I brought this up on our last episode and we were talking about this catcher race that we have going on right now between your mean Mercedes, um, Zach Collins and Jonathan Lucroy. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on that. I want to hear who you think is going to come out on top and why. I think, boy, that's a tough one, but I think that perhaps Luke Croy is going to come out on top because Tony LaRusa has always had a propensity to choose veterans when it comes down to making his roster decisions. And in the past, he did that with, uh, with Oakland. He did that with the Cardinals as well. I mean, I remember at the beginning of J.D. Drew's career, he was having a hard time getting PT because uh, he was the young player and uh, and uh, Tony was trotting some of the older guys and veterans around and putting them in the uh, starting rotation rather than uh, J.D. Drew. I mean, eventually the talent shines through and those guys end up um, working their way into the role. But I think LaCroix might have the, uh, the upper hand at this point in time. Um, Mercedes has done nothing – I mean, nothing as far as to, to eliminate himself. I mean, the guy can hit. He's always hit in the minors. And um, he certainly deserves a shot. And I know a lot of White Sox fans would certainly like to see him have a chance to swing for the fences over at, uh, at the, the rate. But um, And then Collins, you know, he got $3.380 million when he signed his uh, his initial signing bonus. And you know, the organization wants to give him a shot, I'm sure. And he's done well in spring training. So, uh, you know, he might he might have the upper hand based on the, the money. I think, unfortunately, the odd man out will be Mercedes. And uh, it might be a trial run with uh, LaCroix, and then Collins might get a shot. But it will be very interesting. I will be watching it with the same interest level as you guys. Most definitely. I mean, you don't see – there's no chance that they're carrying three catchers, right? There's no way that they have Collins and Lucroy on this uh, 26 man, right? Um, well, well, isn't Grandal a little banged up right now? A little bit. He's a little bit of, you know, this day-to-day stuff. I, I don't think he sniffed the field at all, to be honest with you. Uh, but yeah, I know that he, he's been having a little bit of, uh, was it hamstring issues or whatnot with him? It sounds to me with Grundell, it's like the spring training injury in like major heavy quotes where it's just like he's a professional. He'll he'll just 
get his bats in later in there and then play 152 games in the regular season or whatever, or 140 games or whatever it's going to be just because yeah. like, I mean, that's, that's the way they do it. Sometimes it's like, they, they don't want to risk this guy, but that that's what it sounds like to me or like yeah. it, like the Dodger, the pitcher's injury where it's like, okay, they're not actually injured, but we're going to rest them so that when we get to the playoffs, we can use our big guns. Sounds like that to me. Yeah. Okay. In correction, it's his right knee. It's his right knee that he's got injured. So go ahead, Dan. No, I was going to say that, you know, last year I thought they kind of did Collins a disservice having him, you know, he was getting one start every week and a half and maybe five at bats. And, you know, all he was doing was dancing for dubs. And I felt, felt <laughs> sorry for him, cause, but it wasn't going to help him develop. And it certainly wasn't doing much for the White Sox to just have him there. But I mean, he got paid, so that's good. You know, those young guys need the money. So it's always nice to see them, you know, making the big league salary instead of the minor league pay. But by the same token, I don't think it really helped anyone. Absolutely. Yeah, no, 100% agree with you there, Dan. You know, get, getting guys ABs and getting guys that playing time is is huge, uh, which which leads me to as well to another catcher, uh, or your, your guy, uh, Sebi. You're the Sebi lever. Sebi Zavala um, got option to triple A. Uh, last week. Um, you, you excited to see what he can do down there? I know he's kind of, it, uh, you've got interesting thoughts on Sebi and I've seen you tweet them out. Um, so I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on Sebi getting some time in AAA and, and what his future might look like. Well, he's, you know, he's a minor leaguer that's advanced in age. I believe he's 27 now. Um, but catchers always typically get a later start on their careers because of the defensive requirements of the position and the learning curve to be an effective major league catcher. Um, he's going to bring power to the game. And he's going to bring defense to the game and, and pitch calling and leadership. And, uh, you know, those aren't necessarily uh, the glamorous things that you think of when you think of a, you know, a first round pick guy like Collins or a, a guy that can hit bombs like Mercedes does. But, uh, I think I'd love to see Sebi uh, end up somewhere where he gets a shot to play a little bit in the major leagues. I would like to see him get a, a backup role with somebody, even if it's not the White Sox, because he's a consummate professional and a he's a great guy for an organization to have. That's awesome to hear. And like, do you think that he could be like, is he an interesting guy to like other organizations in that sense? Cause I mean, we are at that part of the, you know, we're done with the rebuild at this point. It's like, all right, who, who can we, not that I want to see Sebi in a different uniform, but at this point it's like, okay, can we get him? Can we get, you know, starting pitching at the major league level for Sebi in a package or something like that? Uh, unlikely. I would say that, you know, there is potential for him to be traded and there is potential for teams to be interested in him for his, his glove and his, uh, his, his pop. But um, if he gets a triple A this year, which obviously he's been optioned. I mean, when he gets to Charlotte after this whole COVID thing is settled and they figure out when they're going to start up, um, I'd like to see him takes a few more walks. Take a, don't be as aggressive, you know, as far as the swing and miss is concerned. And uh, the bombs are going to come naturally to him because he's got power to burn. But uh, I think the big caveat for him right now is his hit tool and the strikeouts. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, that's what 
<laughs> that's what most of the major leagues is struggling with too though so i can't i can't really complain i mean it it, it <laughs> you're looking at somebody who loves Yohan Moncada with his 217 strikeouts in his first year. So you're not yeah. going to get too much complaining about strikeouts from me as long oh, as definitely not for me. I'm the guy who was screaming, <laughs> ah, he's a bust though, you know, in 2019 <laughs> when he started to break out. So, you know, Dan, you brought up, you know, when Charlotte figures out what they're doing, you know, with, with minor league baseball, you know, with triple a baseball and, and, and the minor league system as a whole. Um, I think like 90% of our listeners at least probably have no idea what's going on with minor league baseball to start the year. So do you, I mean, can you tell us, I mean, because I'll be honest, I don't even know what's starting up in April and May and whatnot, you know, looking into the future. Well, tentatively all the schedules for every affiliate has been posted and uh, all of our teams should be starting on May 4th. That would be uh, Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. They're all tentatively scheduled for May 4th. And I've talked to a lot of the minor leaguers, and uh, they told me that their report date is uh, April 1st for minor league spring training. So uh, hopefully everything works out. We keep getting the vaccines. The numbers for COVID keep going down, and everything uh, holds according to plan. But it should be May 4th for the startup and uh, April 1st for the – spring training minor leaguers report. Hey, that's exciting stuff. Do you, do you know anything about fans? Because I know you, you at one point were a, a Canapolis season ticket holder um, and, and whatnot, you know, so I was wondering if you heard anything about them letting fans into the ballpark. I haven't heard a word on fans or capacities that they're going to allow as far as that's concerned, but I have to believe, you know, the minor leagues isn't the, uh, they don't have the, the television deal. They don't have the revenues. So if they don't get people in the seats, they're not going to make money. And I can't imagine that happening, you know, starting baseball without fans in the minors. So uh, I'm, I'm interested to find out myself. For sure. I mean, money is a huge part of it. You know, I mean, they are dependent on ticket sales in order to, to keep a business model going. So. Yeah. And speaking of revenues and, and all of that, you know, there's been so much, <laughs> let's call it streamlining because that's what that's what the major league <laughs> head office would want you to believe yeah that's well, a lawyer what, speak right there that's recon yeah. lawyer speak right there <laughs> what what do you th- like all these lower minor league teams getting trimmed and stuff like that what what are your thoughts on that like do you think that this is good for the game do you think that this is you know a long-term plan that's going to help baseball or is this you know the death of of an important facet of you know what we believe baseball to be well i love minor league baseball i am very uh biased in my opinion about minor league baseball and i'm very bummed out about them doing the contraction into the cost savings measure and the, you know it's really to pay another team it's really a drop in the bucket when you consider the overall um revenues and uh profits of major league teams they could have afforded to pay the guys more money and uh, had better conditions and better facilities without having to cut you know all those teams um from the lower lower end of the uh the developmental leagues and the rookie leagues um i think it's going to be good for independent league baseball because they're also talking about shortening up the draft so you're going to get a lot better quality at independent leagues so uh they should be a lot more interesting to watch. 
but at the same time, I, I don't know. I think it's pretty terrible for uh, minor league baseball. But the one thing that will be interesting is last year, you know, we had no minor league baseball whatsoever, and we had the remote sites. And I'm going to be really interested to see what the prospects from the remote sites end up doing after missing the uh, 2020 season and getting to their full uh, full season affiliates. I'm interested to see what this, uh, let's say, complex type development atmosphere uh, does for these guys that were part of the 60-man rosters. You know, the guys like uh, Jared Kelly and Matthew Thompson and uh, and those guys. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because there was so much big talk coming out of those Schomburg training camps. And it's like, I mean, who are they hitting off of? Like the coaches and like some like bum bullpen arms? Just live, I mean, B, live BP. Yeah, basically it's, it's the extent of competition. I, I yeah so i'm i'm super interested as well it's like okay so does that translate you know like or are is this just more recon lawyer speak about how great our prospects are when it's like well they weren't really getting real practice in so how could you tell how they're doing against the league you know so yes. no they were they were getting they were getting legitimate practice because they were hitting off of each other. You know, Garrett Crochet was pitching to Jake Berger and, uh, and all the prospects that were in the camp. And I remember uh, Jake had a great story about uh, hitting one off the wall off of Crochet. He was very proud because he said he was having a hard time making contact off of him. And uh, <laughs> he finally got one off the wall. But um, so they definitely, uh, you know, they had quality competition. You had, you know, a ball level guys um, pitching to, triple a guys and double a guys and and you know they also got to feed off of each other the more experienced guys got to explain their thought process as far as uh at bats or on the mound and uh they got to pick each other's brain and i think it might be really good for them but i don't know how sparse the at bats were um you know trying to get all those guys in the rotation and play these uh sim games but like i said it'll be really interesting and i'm looking forward to seeing what uh Kelly and Thompson and those kind of guys do when they get to their full season affiliates after missing out on, uh, you know, last year's whole minor league season. For sure. For sure. And you're, especially as someone that yourself, someone who pays so such close attention to minor league baseball, like I think it, it's gotta be even tougher now as you know, someone that's looking at, at prospect lists and, and seeing you know, missing a whole year, of development, you're like, Hey, where, where's this guy really going to be? Like, I think that that's kind of the big question, especially for a lot of us fans. So I got to ask you uh, on each level, you know, you know, a double a triple a, who do you think is kind of the, the guy that's going to really stand out this year and, and make waves, you know, kind of like the Jonathan Stever type um, of, of player for the white Sox or, Who's another guy that, that climbed the ranks quick? I mean, even Crochet, right? I mean, yes, he was a first-round pick, but, I mean, he came right in and made an immediate impact. So who do you think are those guys that could really make some waves and hop some levels this year, Dan? That's going to be so interesting because I was thinking about where guys are going to be sign assigned because after missing last year, you know, uh, the guys from the Arizona League, they didn't get to move up to – great balls for a half season. So, you know, guys like DJ Gladney that um, I thought would probably spend 
last year at uh, Great Falls and then coming to full season this year, it's probably going to come to full season Canapolis this year. And, uh, you know, after missing rather than through the natural step-by-step rung-by-rung approach that they seem to have laid out for him. Um, I think that he might struggle. You know, he had a very high K rate in the Arizona league and then was not part of the the 60 man group. So uh, it's going to be a pretty aggressive assignment for him to be in Kannapolis this year. I think he's got a real positive future ahead of him. I think I'm really looking forward to Jared Kelly. You know, the guy is, unbelievable um that whole actually that entire Canapolis pitching staff should be amazing this year we should have kelly we should have thompson dahlquist uh isaiah carranza who is coming back from a, a tj procedure and uh maybe even norge vera so the Canapolis team is going to be probably just loaded loaded with talent this year um on the offense they should have chase krogman dj gladney Tyler Osick should be back because I'm assuming they're going to want him to catch, you know, every day. So, and rather than promote him and have him catch every day, I think he's probably going to start in Kannapolis and, and catch. And then they're going to see how that works and then maybe promote him after the all-star break. But it's really going to be interesting. The assignments, it's, it's hard to even figure out who's going to be where. But, For sure. Um, yeah. That's high A. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. I'm just saying that's super exciting with Canapolis. Like all of those guys being at the low A level. That was a lot of possibility to see all those names playing together. So some guys that could really break out, you know, I was reflecting on this. um, I was kind of looking through some old photos and I had some photos from when I was down in the Carolinas and uh, went down to Birmingham in the summer of 2018. And I was looking at the starting lineup from that day from Winston-Salem. And it was, it went oh, Gonzalez, Forbes, um, Blake Rutherford, Mitch Roman, uh, Gavin Sheets, Yermin Mercedes, Laz Rivera. Um, I can't even read the second to last one. Uh, Yazari? Yazari? Jason Yazari. Yeah. And then Zach Remillard was in left in the nine spot. So it's just crazy to yeah, think my- all those names are names that we're seeing in spring training now. I know, right? It's, it seems like it moves quick. It seems like it moves quick. And then you realize that, um, you know, that Zach Collins was drafted in 2016. And it uh, seems like it was yesterday. Absolutely. So hit us up with, uh, you, were, you were about to hop into, you know, high A ball and then moving forward from there. Oh, but it's, even in Canapolis still, you, we're going to have probably uh, Benjamin Bailey, um, Rodriguez, Brian Ramos, maybe James Beard. Uh, Harvin Mendoza should be there, and who knows what they're going to where they're going to start Elijah Tatis or Tatis. Oh my God, I said Tatis. That was a jo- <laughs> that was a joke we used to make when we would uh, when we play fantasy baseball in high school. You know, we'd go out to the Sox game and we'd hear someone explaining to their girlfriend, you know, the game and reading mispronouncing names, and uh, and uh, Tatis' father was was playing, and we were listening to the guy in front of us say Tatis, and we kept that. Uh, Obviously, for about 20, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. That is so funny. Um, but yeah, at high A, um, there's a couple under the radar guys that I really, really like. Uh, one is Lane Ramsey. He's a relief pitcher, but this guy, he's just a mountain. He is 6'9, 
He's got long arms, long legs. He throws from a high three-quarter delivery He with extension. So it's like downhill. And he's probably, you know, it's, it would probably seem like he's standing on a little league mound with all of his extension, throwing from 45 feet away. And he, he touches 97 frequently. Um, he owned right-handers at Kannapolis when he was there in 2019. Uh, statistically, he was good, but uh, he just dominated right-handers and lefties kind of feasted off of him. But uh, he's working on a, a split finger pitch for an additional weapon against lefties. And I am interested to see how that works for him because with his height and his uh, delivery, I think that they're going to coach him into a hundred mile an hour uh, with regularity. I think he could be a, a triple digit relief pitcher and uh, he's interesting. So I'm looking forward to seeing him. We're back. We are back. Um, so, hey, we're glad that we're able to finish up this call, though. So, and I'm glad that you got a haircut, and I'm 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 going to need a haircut soon. Uh, keep your eye out on Twitter, by the way, Dan, because there's going to be a big uh, there's going to be a big thing coming up with with my upcoming haircut. <laughs> oh, really? Indeed, indeed. Uh, I won't spoil too much. So uh, I'll, it'll I'll be recorded, little... though. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to okay. leave the carrot like uh, like Jerry Reinsdorf <laughs> says about the uh, about the excitement that, that needs to be left with the White Sox ball club. If I didn't get the haircut today, I was going to have to invest in a Floby. And I don't know if you <laughs> are even old enough to remember the Floby. I am not. But my dad used to always make references to Floby okay. when I was a kid. Um and, and would give me shit. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I, my dad will definitely appreciate that Floby reference when he uh, turns on the podcast this upcoming week. So you were talking uh, when we uh, left you for just a minute, um, you were talking about uh, high A with Winston Salem. So I'm going to let you, uh, let you pick up where you left off. Okay. Yeah. We were talking about Jason Billis and he was a kid that the, uh, the Kannapolis team had him as a starter. He was started in the bullpen. He moved to starter. Um, he was successful, but uh, he lost in below. Like I said, he had scrapped his uh, windup and switched over to pitching exclusively from the stretch because his walk rate was so high in college. And they were trying to uh, get him to uh, master his release point. But uh, I talked to him in the off season and kept in touch to see how, what he was up to. I like to talk to the guys and see if they're working on anything and how their uh, off season's going. And he told me that he was returning to his windup and uh, cause he didn't like the loss of Velo. So he's a kid that might be touching high nineties and even maybe pushing, pushing a hundred if he gets it all back. And hopefully he can figure out that release and get consistency and drop the walk rate. But uh, he's got a lot of potential as well. Uh, then there's a, uh, Alex Destino, who uh, led the Intimidators when they were the Intimidators uh, in 2019. He led them in everything, home runs, RBIs, batting average, you name it. And uh, he was kind of a, a late bloomer. They got him out of South Carolina, and it's kind of I was confused about why they would have done what they did with him. You know, he comes from South Carolina. That's the best baseball conference in college baseball in the country. 
and they send him to uh, rookie league. And then the following year, they send him to the advanced rookie league. And it made no sense for that uh, development path for me. And then he got to Kannapolis full time in 2019 and uh, kicked ass. So I feel like a guy like him, some of the older guys, as far as for the level, they really missed out on the lack of minor league season in 2020. But I'd like to see if he can pick up where he left off and and maybe uh, force the issue and get into double A and and do well for himself there as well. Um, Bryce Bush is another guy that you know that I'm a huge fan of. That's right. And Bryce was he was playing younger than the level, younger than the par age, and uh, dealt with a malady of injuries to uh, that just ruined his stat line. I mean, when you're when vision is one of the problems, and that's what it was for him, was uh, getting his vision corrected. You know, it's hard to hit 99 miles an hour when you can't see it. And uh, I was talking to him in during that season, and he said that, you know, he thought he had his vision issue figured out, but he said that he actually swung at a pitch in batting practice that hit him, and he knew that there was an issue when he swung at a pitch that hit him. Wow, yeah. And uh, <laughs> But he said that he feels that. Uh, very good. He thinks that all of the the issues he dealt with in 2019 are behind him. And I'm looking forward to see first where he's placed. I think he might end up at IA to start the season. And then I'm interested in what he's going to do. Because there was a streak he had early in the season after he had gotten his uh, glasses or his contact lenses. And he just tore the cover off the ball. And I'm hoping he goes right back to that. Um, Lenin Sosa or Lenin, I'm sorry. Lenin, yes. Uh, Lenin, Lenin Sosa. I'm a big fan of his as well. He was, uh, he said that he had learned a lot in Kannapolis and, um, I'm anxious to see he, he had got really hot at the end of the 2019 season. He had a great month of August and I would have liked to have seen how that would have carried over into 2020, but, uh, I'm interested to see what happens with him in the 2021. So that's, uh, my high A guys. And of course we have Yoelki Cespedes. I don't know where he's going to start. Um, but we're, of course, everybody in the White Sox nation is anxiously awaiting his arrival and seeing where he starts and if he, uh, you know, kills it from, from the get go. Yeah. He's talking about trying to be in the majors this year. So like, I, that's I mean you you want everybody to talk big game because that means they got the confidence obviously but like I don't know maybe slow your roll (laughs) yeah let's see what he can do first you know minor leagues tear it up and then 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 move it up but um, I'm interested to see and then uh at double a Birmingham has some interesting guys as well I posted something on Twitter yesterday about Tyler Frost that Tyler Frost strikes me as a guy that it'd be a, he'll be a shuttle guy to him from the majors, you know, um, just kind of a, a fill-in guy. It'd be nice to see him get some, get some run because he's a good kid and, and we liked him down here, but he's got some, he's got some skills. He's got some power. He's got an unbelievably strong throwing arm. The guy was the uh, Gatorade high school player of the year for the state of Arizona when he was down there. And uh, it was because of what he could do on the pitching pitching mount he was insane i think his era was in the below 0.5 wow. his senior year in high school um he was pretty sick and 
that throwing arm carried over to his play in right field. He's got a cannon and he's not a huge guy. He's a really low body fat, um, got a wiry build. I mean, he's kind of Bruce Lee-ish in his his build. He's just a, a, a piece of muscle and uh, and kind of on the slight slightish frame. But he's got some power. And I was posting his um, his charts for his uh, spray chart. And from 2019 or 2018 to 2019, he uh, 2018 was a very strong pull-heavy approach, um, and it rolled over a lot of ground balls that way, trying to pull things that were not pullable and in 2019 he looked like he was hitting the ball all over the field the numbers were pretty much very similar but it, you know sometimes it takes a while for the process to fully be realized in the stat line but i was i was liking what i had seen and i was looking forward to seeing what he would do at double a and then your guy will can cannon and uh, and i'm my guy too you know he was left uh, unprotected for the rule five and I'm kind of anxious to see what Will and Andrew Perez and Bennett Sousa and Stever and and uh, Taylor Varnell. Taylor Varnell, left-handed starting pitcher, a low-round draft pick. He's got a motor, though. The kid, he's always posting videos, or he was always posting videos. I think he kind of took a little leave of absence from some of his social media stuff. But he was posting uh, videos and Instagram stuff and he was just constantly working out. He really, he looked like Rocky Balboa training for the, uh, for the Drago fight. He was, he was getting after it. And uh, I read the story that future Sox had posted about how he was handling the, uh, the pandemic. He's kind of in a small town in Oklahoma. And it seemed like he was having a hard, hard time finding, you know, people to, to take that bats get, you know, against him, people to catch for him. It sounded like he was throwing a lot of balls into nets and his, his wife was retrieving them for him. And uh, so, but he worked hard and he's got some really interesting stuff. This guy throws a, he throws this curveball that it's a knee buckler. I mean, and he drops, he'll drop his fastball, you know, from 93 and then drop a, a curveball at like 70 miles an hour. And it's pretty impressive to see. It's a, it's a real big bender. So okay. I'm looking forward to seeing. It's kind of like some a. some El Duque shit going on there. That's what I think of a guy that's throwing, you know, mid mid to low nineties, and then just buckling people with a seventy mile an hour curveball. You know, it's it was pretty impressive to watch. And the, the problem with you know your your low A guys don't have a prayer against that kind of curveball. Most of mm-hmm. them, so you can you can dominate with a fastball curveball combination in the lower levels. That's the reason a lot of times that you know lower lower heralded uh, college pitchers will dominate at the, the lowest levels. And then they get exposed when they move higher up because, you know, guys get better at recognizing uh, in the zone, in the zone curveballs. They, you know, they're not used to that at the lowest levels. They're usually, usually the curveballs, the sliders, the good breaking stuff is out of the zone. And then all of a sudden they're seeing the guy that can locate it and keep it in the zone. And it's tough for them to, to adjust to until they, you know, get more reps. Most definitely. So, so talk and to the, us as well. Go, go ahead, Dan. You want to, you want to talk to us about uh, guys that might make an impact possibly on, on possibly even the major league level this year that are in the system right now. Sure. Um, you know, I'm a, I have a big man crush on Luis Gonzalez. Oh yeah. <laughs> he, he had a rough year 
at double A, but you know, the Southern league is very uh, offensive pressing. And I hope that he gets a crack at triple A Charlotte this year, because that is like, it's a pinball game since they switched to the major league ball at the international league, you know, numbers are completely out of whack. Guys are hitting bombs like crazy. And I can't remember what percentage of increase. I thought it was a 50% increase in home runs in that league in 2019. Wow. It's almost turned into the, the PCL. But the ball's not juiced, obviously. <laughs> right, exactly. But they're talking about trying to tame some of that. I've, I've read as well, but we'll see what, what really happens. But uh, Charlotte's a great hitters, hitters ballpark. It was probably second to Columbus in the International League. Columbus was like the, the Colorado Rockies, and Charlotte was right there, maybe the great American ballpark of the International League. It's a beautiful facility, but the ball flies out of there. And uh, I think Gonzalez could put his name right back on the map with having a, a huge year offensively in Charlotte. He's he's a great defender as well. I don't I, I haven't seen him much in spring training because I don't get a chance to watch any of the spring training games, especially, you know, during the daytime. But uh, he was a fantastic defender. He was also a two-way pitcher, uh, two-way player in college for a while. So he's got a, a good arm. He can play all three outfield spots. But uh, I really like him a lot. I'm interested to see what they're going to do with Mike Rodolfo, whether he's going to go back to double A or whether they're going to put him in Charlotte. Because uh, with his power, he could put up some monster home run totals in Charlotte. But he's also, you know, he's had so many years of downtime, extended injuries. He's probably missed three years of his development. You know, he was drafted at a young age and been with the team, which seems like forever. But he's still only 24, I believe. But that guy, when he hits a ball, it knows it's been hit. I don't think, I don't think anyone in the organization can generate his kind of exit velocities, including Vaughn. It's just that, uh, you know, Vaughn has an unbelievable hitting approach. Vaughn also hits the ball extremely hard with the consistent, you know, 100 plus exit reloads are the norm for him to generate from time to time. And uh, but Micah, Micah can hit those 110s, 115s with a, a certain degree of frequency and some of his just watch his YouTube highlights and see some of the balls he hits out of parks is ridiculous. Yeah, no, that was something that has always impressed me with Mike Rodolfo as well is I, I, it's just the power that he generates. It is insane. It, it's, uh, you know, it's uncanny. Um, so I, I know you mentioned Andrew Vaughn too. I got to ask you about mm-hmm. Andrew Vaughn, Dan and, and I was very, what what's the right word here? Hesitant about Vaughn being up this year and the kind of the message the front office of the Sox is, is kind of feeding us fans in regard to, hey, this guy's ready. He's going to make an impact on the major league level in 2021. Um, I know you, you have a lot of great things to say about Andrew Vaughn, and obviously he has a ton of upside. There's a reason why he's a top 20 prospect on every, you know, even top 15 prospect on nearly every single list that you look at in Major League Baseball. I, I want to hear, give me maybe some rough projections of what you see going on for Andrew Vaughn this year. Okay, rough projection, I would say he exceeds 275 batting average. Ooh, he exceeds wow. 20 homers. And, you know, RBIs are hard to gauge with that lineup. He could be hitting 
a lot of times with no one on because of the guy hitting a home run before you. Um, but I'll say 70 RBIs. Yeah. I mean, and RBI when, for me is, is an irrelevant stat when it comes to individual, sure. but a guy batting 275 and 20 homers. Uh, and that's it, now Dan, are those like per 150 numbers or like, what do you think in here? No, when he reaches his peak, he's going to be good for, he's going to be a consistent 300 hitter with uh, 25. See, I, I maybe lower rate his power. I gave him a, I gave him a 60 grade on power, and I saw a lot of guys uh, hanging a 70 on him for power. I think he should be good between 25 and 30 homers uh, consistently. But then again, he's never had his crack at hitting the uh, Major League Baseball. You know, that's like hitting a Super Bowl. So he might be all over the place. I mean, he might be dropping bombs like crazy. That one he hit, the first one he hit in spring training was insane. He -hmm. short-armed it. He kind of tucked his arms in and kind of alligator swung at T-Rex arms. Didn't even get full extension and left the bat at 108 miles an hour. And it was a, a rocket. And then the one he hit, was it two days ago? Yeah, that that's was right. A moon. That was that was a bomb. I mean, it was super. It was unusual because he normally doesn't hit uh, these big towering fly balls. He's more of a two iron guy, you know. Uh, really hits it hard and more on a line drive tra- trajectory. But that thing was a was a monster. It was a prodigious shot. Most definitely, and I was super impressed with that first home run too that you mentioned, Dan. Where he saw the pitch, it was hitting the you know top inside corner of the strike zone and he tucks his hands in and he still gets all of it like that that sold Andrew Vaughn for me like I was just like okay he can do this like he's got the bat to ball skills that everybody's talking about that I haven't been able to see yet and I mean your your projections there for this season are I think are super high on him like I'm I'm really impressed with like that idea, but like, I mean, give us, you know, the last 10 years of DHs in white Sox history. And I'm just like, I think that might be part of my hesitation too, is I'm just so like, Oh God, here we go again. Like another white another, Sox DH, another ill prepared, like DH, you know? So mm. I, yeah, I see him at, at peak. This guy's going to hit 300 with 25 to 30 homers and drive in a hundred. And I think he'll do it for years after years. Um, for sure. You know, he's a top, he's a top 20 prospect and his value is 100 percent driven by his bat. And that's just how impressive his bat is. You know, typically you're you're, uh, you know, your fantastic starting pitchers are there in the top top 20 prospects or your outfielders or shortstops, you know, that are five tool guys that can run, hit, hit for power. You know, Vaughn is he's strictly a bat. And to be ranked that high is just a bat with a first base defensive profile is says a lot about the bat. And, and I think that's what I'm nervous about. And a lot of people are nervous about is like, why are we putting him into a DH role right away then? But if it's just because his bat's that good, then I guess that's fine. Right. I mean, and we do need a DH. So what's the, what's the harm in it? Or do you, I guess what I'm really getting at here, Dan, is do you see the harm in putting him in that spot and just being like, okay, if you're a bat heavy guy, bat first guy, then be bat first and be a DH your whole career. Does that limit him? You think at all, or do you see him going to be a first baseman or like a, you know, corner outfielder at some point or catcher, I guess it was the other one at some point in his career. No, 
he'll be a first baseman at some point. But I mean, you have the reigning MVP standing on first base right now. And he's also, you know, uh, a Braves kind of the heart and soul of the team. So uh, he'll get his shot at first base. But I, I know that not from talking to him, but I just know that the way he's wired, that he wants to be in the big leagues and he wants to contribute. And I'm sure that he would have no problem being relegated to full-time DH and waiting for his opportunities to play in, in the field as well. For sure. You want to talk about guys who have fallen off? You sure, know, absolutely. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's do that. So, Dan, I got to ask you. When, when it comes to you, you ultimately like bring this hope and this optimism back into, you know, the minor league system for me, because like you have so many great things to say about these guys. And a lot of times it's guys that I've heard very little about. But then I, I think about, you know, guys in the system like the, the Blake Rutherfords and the Alec Hansons and, and the Zach Birdies of the organization that, that are still here. And then you follow that up with guys who maybe either touched the major league level a little bit or were prospects and, and, and we gave up on them. Guys like Chris Bassett, Marcus Simeon, obviously the big one, Tatis, um, who have blossomed elsewhere. I, I got to ask you, is this like an indictment of the White Sox minor league development? Um, is this bad luck? Is this something that happens everywhere and it's just you know, so prominent to us because we're White Sox fans and we're all negative. Um, or is this just, you know, yeah, it, I got to ask you, what is this? You know, is this an indictment of the White Sox, you know, minor league development, or is this just, you know, normal? The White Sox development and drafting was absolutely abysmal up until I feel like they turned a the corner right around 2016. And that coincided with, you know, making the Moncada trade shortly after, uh, making the Giolito trade shortly after. And, you know, some of our stars, you know, they didn't come originally through our system. So, I mean, obviously we did well in recognizing what was there to, to acquire these guys, you know, Eloy, Cease, Moncada, and Giolito. But, you know, we didn't draft any of them. So, you know, you can suggest that maybe the drafting is is still uh, lackluster. We haven't seen a whole lot of production from our first round picks. You know, Collins is 2016 draft and he's in the, you know, he's on the edge and whether he's going to make the team and what he can bring to the table. Um, same thing goes for Blake Rutherford. You know, we didn't draft him. The Yankees did, but, um, but I was looking at that draft recently because I was thinking about Rutherford and Collins. And in that draft, I mean, Mickey Moniak went 1-1. He still hasn't done anything at the major league level. Riley Pint went 1-4. He hasn't even pitched above A ball. Um, Corey Ray with the Brewers was 1-5. He hasn't made his major league debut yet. Collins is 1-10. And then uh, the guys in that draft that, you know, people are expecting big things out of right now are Gavin Lux, um, Matt Manning, Nick Senzel, Alex Kirloff. But, you know, None of them have really made a, a huge impact at the major league level yet. Some of them have torn through the minors, but so I, I guess we can't really rule them out. It would be nice to see them putting up monster numbers at, at a level, you know, one of the affiliates and then us being hopeful about what they're going to bring to the table at the major league level. But I, I wouldn't write any of them off yet. 
Now, as far as um, as far as the development is concerned, you know, after we get these guys in the system and in the fold, it's um, I think it's improving. That's that's all I can say is I think it's improving. Uh, the White Sox have made a tremendous effort to uh, to draft not only guys with great baseball skills, but they're trying to draft guys with you know high motors, guys that really want to learn, guys that are going to work hard, do what it takes to get to the next level. And I think that is a big part of the culture of, of winning. You know, you can draft a guy that might be able to throw a ball through a brick wall, and but he might be uh, you know kind of a goofball that thinks he's going to get there on his talents alone without putting in the work. And it seems like most of these kids in the White Sox system are, are willing to do whatever it takes to get to the next level. So I, I think it's improving. In addition to that, I think like, I feel like there's this, this like mantra of like, well, the Sox, they don't know how to, you know, develop position players. They can only develop, you know, bullpen arms and some and catchers too. Like those, the only ones that I feel like anybody ever talks about the White Sox being able to do. Do you think there's like any market improvement or do you think it's more of like what you were saying that they're just drafting, they're not just drafting athletes anymore. They're drafting people with baseball acumen or whatever. Um, is it, Like, is that kind of the trajectory still, or do you still think that you can pigeonhole the White Sox as only able to develop these two positions or whatever. I think that Matt Zaleski is a genius when it comes to pitching. And I think that him being in the minors and helping the, the guys reach the majors and now, you know, working with Ethan Katz, I think that we're going to see great improvement from our pitching at the minor league level. Um, and, you know, it's hard to judge position players. I, I posted something the other day. It was the 1999 draft look back. The White Sox had four first round picks. If you include the supplemental draft and they bombed on all four picks. I mean, it was just garbage. Uh, the Orioles had seven picks that year and six of them were complete bust outs. And the uh, Padres had six and went 0 for six on every one of their picks. They were just junk so we're talking about 17 uh first round or, or supplemental first round picks in the 1999 draft and one of them was an impact player and it was brian roberts for the Orioles. so you know to a point the the mlb draft is a lot more of a, a crapshoot than the nfl or the nhl or or the nba so i can't 100 percent pin it to a development or drafting because there's so much more to it. You know, a, a guy can dominate high school baseball, you know, he could hit 500 and hit a dozen home runs, but he might, might be completely uh, confused when he sees a, a guy that can throw an end zone breaker and guys that are sitting, you know, 93, 94, because you're not going to see that in high school, you know, but with all these travel ball leagues and these elite, traveling teams and programs they're, they're getting better at recognizing things so i think they've gone leaps and bounds since 1999 in the draft i was referencing but um still it's still an art for sure and even with i mean tommy was talking about drafting athletes i mean even guys like i remember when the white sox drafted courtney hawkins you know 
you know, the guy, right. you know, doing, you know, backflips for MLB Network after he got drafted, you know, oh, this kid's an athlete, you know, oh, he's got it all, you know, he could be a five tool player. But yeah, I mean, you, I think you, you said it really well, Dan, is that doesn't necessarily equate to baseball talent, baseball IQ, you know, the ability to, you know, yeah, make adjustments as needed. Um, what, you know, the learning, you know, what their, you know, learning process is, what, what they're like, you know, in regard to development, what they're going to develop into. And yeah, it can be extremely hit or miss. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've always, I'll be honest. I've always been super critical of the White Sox in their prospect development, um, or at least like recognition, uh, you know, of talent. Cause I just, yeah, I think there are so many guys who have, who have went elsewhere, at least we've seen in the last. And I think this, as you said, it's getting better. It's getting better in this area, but I, I've seen so many guys, you know, like I swear we're just kind of like the, the stepping stone for guys to go to the A's like the, you know, the A's have, have been that team to, <laughs> to kind of screw us over. You know, we've got Bassett, Wendelkin, Simeon, um, and then, you know, on top of that, too, like I know so many White Sox fans are still bitter over Tatis. Um, I mean, we would have never been able to lock him up long term with uh, Jerry Reinsdorf's uh, way of handling contracts. But and luckily we have Tim. Um, but, yeah, all that being said, you know, I think you you said it well, is that I think White Sox fans are very caught up in the in the early 2010s of poor drafting and development. And, and luckily we, we have a lot better, a lot better future ahead of us for sure. It's, it's really an art. The whole drafting process is an art. Is an art. I mean, um, Bellinger, you know how many homers he hit his senior year in high school? I do not. Zero. That's this crazy. Guy, he hit zero homers his senior year. And uh, I mean, he was a MVP with the, I don't remember how many bombs he hit. Was it, 38-ish, somewhere in that ballpark. But, I mean, he's a perennially good, annually good for 30-plus, for and he hit zero. So that's a forward-thinking person, you know, that steps up and, and grabs a guy like that, and then they turn him into what he's become. And let's just hope the Sox can do that with their guys, and they sure have a good foundation with some of them. You know, Jared Kelly, um, he had uh, – the COVID-19 shut down his last uh, – his last season in uh, high school, but he had 12 innings and pitched in 34 of his 36 outs were on strikeouts. I mean, and he's from the same hometown as Nolan Ryan. What does that tell you? The guy's going to be something. I love Gatorade that thought process. That, that's, that's hot take Tommy thinking right there. He's from the same hometown <laughs> as Nolan Ryan. He's going to be just fine. <laughs> they breed him yeah, different I mean, over there. Just, they do. And they got Thompson and he's a Texas kid too. So, uh, and I heard, I've talked to some of the guys in the organization, you know, the, the catchers and teammates and stuff for him. And they said that uh, Thompson's stuff is right there on par with Kelly. So I'm looking forward to seeing them at Kannapolis when we got those two in the, in the starting rotation. What we really need is we need like the, the stars to align the same way that they aligned on the day that both Frank Thomas and Jeff Bagwell were born. It's like, it's, we need some of that juju in the in the white Sox organization were they actually <laughs> born on the same day the same exact day. i found this out i don't know i've I read this like 
a couple days ago, but yeah, Frank Thomas, Jeff Bagwell, exact same day, year, everything like just something happened in the skies and then two hall of famers were born and we need i, I just feel like we need that for the white Sox to like <laughs> like save the organization somehow with like the stars aligning over cuba and marco patty being in the right spot with the something with the moon shining on him and then he meets the right guys and all of a sudden you know we got like jose abreu 2.0 and <laughs> i'm just i'm just saying i don't know if i'm if i'm smoking something over here but i feel like that might what this be is. <laughs> you gotta be you gotta be whole you're, you're holding right now tom i need i need what you're on so I got to I got to ask you, Dan, you know, transitioning to major league side of things. I, I want your quick prediction real quick on, on how the Sox are going to do this year. You know, the hopes are high on the south side and uh, I, I need to know that this isn't just all talk um, or if, you know, really, we got something to look forward to this year, possibly, uh, you know, not just a division contender, but more than that. I think they're going to get 90 wins. It's good. Yeah, I, I think they're going to get 90 wins. I don't know what that's going to lead them to to fall in the standings, but I, I'm thinking 90 wins is definitely doable. I'd live with 90 wins. How about you, Tom? Isn't that what the – I think that's what the over-under is at right now, right? Like, or it was earlier in, in the offseason. So if that's like – I mean – it, let me put it to you this way, Dan, because this is what Steve made me do, because I think I said somewhere around 90 wins and Steve was like, oh, come on, you got to go over or under because you're not going to push it at nine. So what if you if you had to say if, if the over unders at 90 wins, would you say over or under Dan? I would go under, but only oh. because my original thought was 88 wins. And uh, so if I'm going to have to make a bet and and go out on a limb, I'm going to go with uh, under. You know, that's funny because that's I feel like I was in the same boat where it's like, you know, a 91 team, you have to be really, really good. So uh, and there's like there's some thumpers out there in, in our division. So I don't know. I I'm with you. I, I don't know if that's pessimistic of me to say I think they're going to win 88 games. But it, like around around White Sox Twitter, it, it certainly seems like I'm being a pessimist when they and when I say they're going to win, you know, uh, <laughs> the more wins than they've won in the last like freaking five years. So I don't know. I, I I'm with you, though. But the one thing is they're going to hold leads if they're winning late in games, they are always going to I mean, they're their percentage of winning and converting on games that they're ahead after six innings is going to be insane because I don't see this bullpen dropping the ball very often. I don't either. It's definitely a strong point for this team, especially when you throw Kopech and Crochet in there. Um, It's yeah, it's nuts. I mean, you've got middle relief, you've got end of the game relief. Um, It's, it's really nice. It's really nice to know that we don't have to try and stretch Dylan cease to go, you know, eight innings at, you know, a hundred and some odd pitches, you know, that it's good to know that we've got guys that are going to be able to step in and fill the gap and that we won't be wearing down starting arms. Cause we all know that the depth right there is still a little, a little short when it comes to the back end. You mentioned Kopech and Crochet and, you know, and then of course we got Liam Hendricks, the big sought after free agent signing. And then you still have Bummer and Cody Hoyer and Cody Hoyer to me, could be a closer somewhere else in the major leagues. If it wasn't for the White Sox being so loaded, I think that he could have worked his way into that role sooner rather than later. So we're talking 
we're five deep on, and that didn't even mention Matt Foster, who was very good as well last year. So who's going to blow games? For sure. I don't think Carlos I, Rodon. I don't think <laughs> Ronaldo Lopez. <laughs> and, and now we play uh, like Cordero was, you know, why like he was struggling after yeah. going under the knife this week. So is I, I thought very favorably of him as well. Yeah. I, Until I, I I'm not going to lie. I think, uh, I think our guy, Ricky Renteria wore down his arm a little bit. Oh, you mean pitching him in every game? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. It's not a good thing to pitch a guy every game. <laughs> yeah, no, I would say that's uh, not a smart move if you want your guy to be, you know, effective uh, down the long stretch. Um, it's kind of like what happened to C-Sheck before he came to the South Side, too. So, hey, you know, when Cordero pitched in Charlotte in 2019, that was the year they converted to switching to the uh, using the Major League ball. And his ERA, I want to say, was below two. And that's absurd for that ballpark using that ball. And I thought really favorable. And he had a great 2019 call up. I just think, yeah, he was probably just abused and put in the wrong, wrong situations that didn't optimize his effectiveness. Hopefully he comes back strong after his surgery. Cause I think he's a decent bullpen arm. Absolutely. I mean, when you're throwing, you know, a fastball that hard and you got a nice little sink uh, sinker action as well, that's going on with him i mean he he throws heat and uh he's he's got some good stuff a lot of movement on his pitches so you don't think it was the uh the sleeve rolled up like cut off circulation or anything like that right like (laughs) of course it's tough to say it's tough to say it very well could have been (laughs) (laughs) oh shoot well tom you got anything else I mean, I'm just I'm just thankful that we we got somebody like like Dan that like is willing to speak with us and uh, and hear my Marco Patty uh, s- <laughs> stories about hoping that he gets under the right stars, uh, my astrology as it were, uh, putting up with it and, and coming on calls with us. I I really do appreciate that. I don't think I got uh, anything else uh, off the top of my head though, Stevo. Uh- yeah, like I was going to say, I, I've got nothing much else to say other than thank you, Dan. Uh, we're really appreciative that you're always willing to come on, talk uh, talk prospects with us, talk about the future of this organization, and uh, give us insights that we would have never had before. Um, you are Dan the man for a reason, and I'm definitely looking forward, uh, hopefully maybe even this summer, if I can figure it out with my summer classes, to get down to the Carolinas and catch some ball games. It sounds great to me. And uh, thanks for having me. And I appreciate you dealing with my haircut situation and uh, my dog whining at the door while I was trying to talk to you guys. But no, I appreciate uh, you guys giving me the opportunity to talk to you. I always love talking about our guys. And I like, uh, you know, notifying you guys about people that watch that maybe aren't on the the national media's radar, because I'd like to give those guys uh, some pub and some some credibility because I think they deserve it. You know, they work hard and, uh, and, you know, usually if you don't get drafted in the first round or second round, you know, people kind of leave you out of the picture. For sure. For sure. And Hey, we're, we're kind of like that when it comes to white Sox podcasts, we're definitely not the first or second round uh, choice draft picks <laughs> of white Sox podcasts. Uh, so, Hey, keep in up. touch with what's up, Dan, but you're moving up with a bullet. Hey, we're trying, we're trying. Absolutely. 
take care, guys, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you. And hopefully, you come down to the. We can do some minor league ball games this year. Absolutely, absolutely. Looking forward to catching some baseball and sharing some bourbon with you again. Sounds great. <laughs> do me a favor though, Dan. Don't drink them under the table this time. <laughs> you know what? I gotta give him. I gotta give him some props though. For, he's you know he's a smallish guy. I got him by several uh, several pounds. I don't want to go into how many, but uh, <laughs> I'm basically two Stevos. And. Uh, <laughs> And he can hold his own. I'm not going to lie for being a little runner guy, a little runner guy. I love it. Uh, we we got to get that on his, on his uh, profile. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, drunk shy socks fan here for a reason at drunk shy socks fan. Um, and make sure you guys, obviously, you know who we are. We're the sons of Honarchy. Uh, find us on Twitter, find us on uh, Instagram as well. We're on Instagram. Uh, and then you can subscribe to our podcast anywhere. Please follow our guy, Dan Victor, on Twitter. That's at Sly Dano, D-A-N-N-O, 70 on Twitter. Uh, great insight into our minor league boys and uh, what's going on outside of just the major league scope. So thank you, Dan, so much. We really appreciate having you on, man. Thanks, guys. Take care. Of course. We'll talk to you soon. Let's wrap this thing up in Han we trust. Spend the money we must. Hey, have a good one, everybody. All right.